Swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going. Going. Goodbye baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners. With more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Welcome to Mariners Extra Innings. Curtis Rogers with you for the next two hours here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network with you until 9 p.m. And boy, oh boy, did the Mariners need that one yesterday. That was a game that was definitely getting away from them. In the third inning, down 8-4, to four, they jumped out to the 4 nothing lead. It did not look like things were going to go their way again on Sunday, but boy, oh boy, did they dig down deep, found that extra gear to push themselves to, and came away with the 10-8 come-from-behind victory in extra innings. And it was almost a mirror image of what we saw in last year's wild card round with that miraculous comeback against the Blue Jays again. <laughs> like you had Cal Raleigh hitting a home run. You had, you know, the lead was trimmed to 8 5 and then 8 7, and then they tied it in the ninth, and then they win it in extras. And uh, I mean, it was a carbon copy in terms of the formula of beating the Blue Jays last year. And I think the most encouraging thing about yesterday's game was not just simply the win, but in how they did it. That was the most 2022-2021 Mariners win of the 2023 season. And and as we've talked about before on Extra Innings, this is a team that wants to have that formula working for them, that wants to have those close games go their way. And I would imagine they've gained a, a good amount of confidence after yesterday's ball game and uh, later on in this show we'll talk to Brandon Gustafson about that he will join me in about 15 minutes as he always does or tonight's secret special guest uh, we'll discuss yesterday's huge come from behind victory but uh, when you could not ask for a bigger win in a more important situation I think for this team right now because as you know, in April, you got to stack your wins in order to make your road a little bit easier down the road. And the Mariners were staring down a five-game losing streak. They were staring down an 11-17 and 17 month. And they were able to get the win yesterday, head into May on a high note. Now they've got this three-game series against the worst team in baseball. Uh, another opportunity for them to make some hay before coming home before a packed crowd uh, against Houston the first time they face the Astros this season coming up on Friday of this week. So before we get into all that we get into here on Extra Innings, it's time for another round of three up, three down. Here is what I am up on. The very first thing I'm up on is team meetings. Why is that? Well, Scott Service postgame yesterday talked about how the Mariners held a team meeting on Saturday and really got everybody back on the same page. Again, I thought the meeting we had at the end of the game yesterday was good. You know, uh, there's only one person that talked, but I think everybody heard it and, um, you know, it played out today. Scott Service has a very, you know, disappointed dad energy sometimes where he's like, I'm not mad. I'm I'm just disappointed in you. And I, I get that vibe after the four-game losing streak that they had to finish the Philly series and to start the Toronto series. You know, the bats weren't going. They got shut out in the finale against against Philadelphia. They got shut out on Saturday, losing one to nothing. And then yesterday they broke out for 10 runs and, and really, you know, 
jump-started that offense, especially at the top of it. And they scored 10 runs in a game where Ty France got one pinch-hit appearance and Julio Rodriguez didn't even play. So at full health, you hope that this is a jumping-off point for the Mariners going forward, and that is going to be something uh, that hopefully comes from this big victory against Toronto yesterday. Here's the first thing I'm down on, and I mentioned it just a moment ago. The injury bug. You had Julio pulled from Saturday's game, missed all of Sunday with a lower back injury. We're still awaiting word. Hopefully it was just a precautionary day off yesterday. Getting the extra day off with the travel day today, uh, Ty France, under the weather, had just two pinch hit appearances in the final two games of the Blue Jays series. And then to top it all off, you've got losing Robbie Ray for the season earlier this week. Dylan Moore has experienced multiple setbacks in his return from an injury. Andres Munoz hasn't resumed throwing yet. Easton McGee, the hero of Saturday's game, going six and two-thirds no-hit innings against the Blue Jays, he gets placed on the aisle with a forearm strain. According to fan graphs, that is 13.6 war from the 2022 season missing from your everyday roster with guys like Ray, Moore, Munoz, Julio, and France. That is not going <laughs> to... You just can't win with those guys out of your lineup every single day, and the Mariners have been able to weather a, a an inordinate amount of injuries over the season's first month. We talked about it in the offseason, how the Mariners can't really bank on the health of their starting pitching lasting the way it did a year ago, where every single starting pitcher made every single scheduled start. There was nobody that got skipped over because of injury. You had you know Robbie Ray making his full slate of starts, Luis Castillo making his full slate of starts, you had Kirby and Gilbert. You had Flexen and Marco. All those guys made every start they were scheduled for without injury a year ago. And to bank on that this season, that was not you know that was not feasible because it just doesn't happen in baseball. You always see injuries, but it feels like the injuries have have totaled up for the Mariners in a way that we have not seen in a long time this early in the season. But I will get back to what is up, and that is Cal Raleigh. Uh, looking for some summer property in Toronto. Long look at Gino in the pitch. Swung on, drive to deep right there. He goes again. Cal Raleigh, everybody. A two-run homer second in as many at-bats. And the Mariners have a 10-8 lead. Hey, now, hey, now. As Ryan Roland Smith pointed out to me yesterday on, on the postgame show, it, this time last year we had zero production from Julio. We had zero production from Cal. We had zero production from George Kirby, uh, and, and all three of those guys have now given you a month's worth of production. You had, you know, Luis Castillo wasn't even here in the first month of the season last year, and Cal Raleigh, uh, up to five home runs now in the season. He had three on just in this series alone against the Blue Jays, including two yesterday, the go-ahead home run in the tenth inning. So good to see Cal Raleigh get back to that form that made him such a force in the Mariners lineup, especially swinging that power bat, hitting nearly 30 home runs a year ago. Uh, He's got five home runs over the season's first month. You you extrapolate that over the course of a full season, you're looking at another threat at 30 home runs this year. Like getting that out of your catching spot is is such a a luxury to have a guy that can go yard really at any time. Uh, his his batting kind of reminds me of like Kyle Schwarber in a way where just he just has tremendous power. Uh, he's not there to hit three hundred. He's not there to hit three fifty. He's not there to do that. He is there to put a charge in the ball when given that opportunity. He's there to hit you know doubles. Uh, if it comes at, at the 
you know, price of a strikeout, so be it. But Cal Raleigh has really shown his value to this team and, and a guy that can take charge at a moment's notice. And I am up on him and I'm up on his performance from yesterday. What I am down on is Blue Jays manager John Schneider and his postgame comments yesterday specifically about Cal Raleigh and how just kind of not giving him the credit that he deserves for a multi-home run game. John, what about Cal Riley makes him so tough to pitch to? He's not very tough to pitch to when you execute your pitches. You know, he's hitting 200, but it's, um, I know he's done damage against us. And I think if you execute, you know, he's obviously got big, you know, damage potential and he's got a lot of strikeout potential too. And when you execute your pitches, you usually get the job done. Not that hard to pitch to, huh? Well, he took you deep three times in the series. So if he's not that hard to pitch to, why don't you get out there and pitch to him? Because it sounds like your pitching staff has had quite an issue putting the ball past his bat, especially in this series. And then also in the playoffs a year ago, he had, uh, what was it, an RBI double in game one of the wild card round. He had a home run in game two. Like Cal Raleigh owns the Blue Jays right now more so than any other team that he goes up against. So uh, I don't know if, if that's uh, very true there, Blue Jays manager John Schneider. And Cal Raleigh he even said after the game yesterday, uh, don't count these guys out, specifically in Toronto. Yeah, we needed that. It was a it was a weird game, but, you know, I guess we're never out of it in Toronto. So <laughs> Cal getting the last laugh yesterday. It, it, it's weird because the Mariners ended up losing the series, but uh, yesterday was such a momentum lift. It gave everybody just a sigh of relief seeing them pull out that victory uh, and really just kind of reset before this Oakland series. And now let's get to the final thing I'm up on, and that is Taylor Trammell. What a day he had in his first game back from the IL. Here's the pitch on the way. Swing and a fly ball. Deep to right field. Going and going and Grandma get out the right bread and mustard. It is grand salami time. Taylor Trammell with his... First swing of the 2023 season hits a grand slam here in the top of the first inning, and the Mariners have a 4-0 lead over the Blue Jays at bat number one. Home run number one, four runs batted in. Welcome back, Taylor Trammell. First swing of the season, he goes yard, and I've been banging the drum for him over the last couple of days on social media, on Twitter, at a kid from Kent, because he was tearing the cover off the ball in AAA Tacoma, uh, hit a 450-foot shot in uh, Las Vegas a couple nights ago. He gets the call up yesterday and delivers on the very first swing, and then also delivers on the very last pitch of of the ninth inning to send the game into extras. Seawall listens in, has a sign, here's the stretch. And the pitch on the way to Jansen. Swing and a high fly ball to left field and toward the corner. Going back near the warning track. Taylor Trammell has some room. Reaches up. Got it. He made the catch. Taylor Trammell made the catch in the corner. And we are going to go to the top of the 10th inning. Taylor Trammell with an incredible grab to send the game into extras yesterday. Uh, he played just such a, a huge role in yesterday's victory. A guy that gave the Mariners a tremendous amount of energy, and, and it really paid off in a big way. They would not have won without that grand slam, and they probably wouldn't have won without that grab in the ninth inning. And the final thing that I am down on is Blue Jays reliever Anthony Bass. Now, if you recall a few weeks ago, Anthony Bass had a very viral 
social media post where he was complaining about the flight staff of United Airlines not picking up garbage that his kids had thrown up on the ground and uh, got everybody in their feelings uh, one way or another. And I think most people were against what Anthony Bassett posted. Uh, Yesterday, he gives up a home run. He gives up a two-run home run. I believe it was to Cal Raleigh. It was either that or the Teoscar Hernandez home run. Uh, and Mariners fans had a, had a lot of fun poking at him. And yesterday also, uh, you know, I took my shots at him too because it, it's very, uh, you know, pretty typical of Anthony Bass to not clean up after himself, to leave a mess for others. And that's exactly what he did uh, in the game yesterday. Uh, he was very integral in the Mariners' comeback again. He if you remember, he pitched in the wild card round last year, gave up the three run home run to Carlos Santana uh, in wild card game two. So, in these two big comebacks the Mariners have had in Toronto, Anthony Bass has been integral. Now, why do I bring him up? Because this morning I log on to Twitter, I had a kid from Ken, I, I search Anthony Bass, and he has deactivated his Twitter account. He can't handle the smoke, folks. Can't do it. It's. That's on him, man. That's on him. (laughs) Anthony Bass, I'm down on you. When we return on Extra Innings, Brandon Gustin of SeattleSports.com, he joins me. We dive into the comeback yesterday and look ahead to this Oakland A's series, what's at stake for the Mariners as they look to finish off this road trip on a positive note. You're listening to Extra Innings on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Welcome back into Extra Innings here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. And we're joined right now by a top-secret guest, one of the greatest guests that this show could ever possibly land. It's Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com who joins me, as he kind of always does around this time, every single week on Extra Innings. And Brandon, how's it going? Good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> crazy weekend, right? Like, Yeah, there I mean, was... We were t- there was literally there was a lot everything. of stuff going on. I don't think the Mariners were necessarily at the forefront of it, which is okay. Uh, but yeah, it's been a been a crazy few days out here in Seattle on the sports scene. And uh, you know, who would have thought that a Mariners major comeback win like it like it happened yesterday would almost get kind of uh, pushed under the rug a little bit. A little bit, definitely so. But hey, it not look. It was a must win game. I'm saying it even if it was April 30th when the Mariners were playing the Blue Jays yesterday, like they needed to get that one in order to have some kind of positive momentum going into this Oakland series. Oh, absolutely. And especially after the first two games of that series, you're just not really getting much traction. You're not scoring any runs in one of the games, taking it into the 10th. And even with the, with the courtesy runner, ghost runner, whatever you want to call it, still not able to push a single run across the board and you lose in a game where a rookie gives you six and two thirds of no hit ball in Toronto against that lineup in that ballpark. I mean, yeah, you had to feel like that was a low point and very clearly the Mariners did. They, they came out the next day. The bats were on fire. Taylor Trammell gave them a little bit of a boost. Unfortunately, they, they gave it up kind of right away. Marco Gonzalez really, really tough start from him, but that the Mariners were able to kind of claw back again late Uh, another, you know, two more clutch home runs from Cal Raleigh. He just hits in that ballpark so well, but the bullpen was phenomenal after Marco got pulled. They were basically perfect. So definitely a lot of good things that you can take away from that. And hey, you're four games under 500 at the end of the month, but you're about to take on an ace team that's probably the worst in baseball. So you got to be feeling at least a little bit good heading into the off day today. Yeah. And I guess if there's another thing that can make people feel 
you know, less nervous about the Mariners' start that they've gotten off to this season is that through 28 games a year ago, uh, they were had the same exact record at 12 and 16. So I, there is there is hope, even though things have not gotten off uh, to the start that we all kind of expected them to get off to here in 2023. Brandon, the big news of Monday is the awaited call up of Bryce of Bryce Miller. I made Stacy Ross made the mistake earlier today. I nearly did too. Uh, it's <laughs> Bryce Young, Bryce Miller, but Bryce Miller uh, looks like he's going to be called up tomorrow and making the start for the Mariners. Uh, a couple questions. I mean, obviously, we'll get to Bryce Miller and, and kind of just him on his own, but Logan Gilbert was the scheduled starter for tomorrow. Is this cause for concern, or is this just you know maybe getting him some extra rest? Yeah, it, it, it's tough to tell because they, they already kind of shook up the, the rotation with him the one time. It was in uh, Philadelphia. He came back a, a day later. They pushed Marco up a day to, to be able to get Gilbert a little bit of extra rest, so it kind of sounded like they thought that was going to be a one-time thing, but maybe it's not, and Logan's been someone who has been just extremely healthy and durable during his time, not just with the Mariners and on the major league roster, but just in general. So hopefully it's nothing to be too concerned about, especially when you're having a guy like Robbie Ray already out for the season. They, you don't want to try to dip into, dip into the reserves, dip into some untapped guys like a, like a Bryce Miller who hasn't made his MLB debut yet. You don't want to have too many of those guys going out for a team that's trying to contend for a world series this year. Uh, but but ultimately, I think with, with Bryce Miller, it is going to be really exciting to see what he's able to do tomorrow night. You have followed Bryce Miller's career in the minor leagues uh, ever since the Mariners drafted him uh, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and what do you make of his stuff? Because uh, a lot of people are going to be introduced to him kind of for the first time on Tuesday. What is something that we should be watching for uh, in his debut? Yeah, he has a ridiculous fastball, and it's not just the velocity, but you'll you'll hear a lot about life, just the the life that he has on the fastball, the ride he has on the fastball up in the zone. He's just really able to to create a lot of just late movement on it. It, it gets on hitters really in a hurry. Um, his his command has improved a lot when he came out of uh, Texas A and M. The there were a lot of people that thought he was going to be a reliever. He was a fourth round pick, but. He had first-round talent, absolutely. He was a fastball slider guy with wicked stuff. The The issue was a lot of people thought that he wasn't going to have the command to stick as a starter. He's proven everybody wrong. He was absolutely dominant uh, between high A and double A last year, and that's put him right on the doorstep of making his MLB debut, which is phenomenal for him. It hasn't taken him very long, which is another cool aspect of it. Really only one full year in the minors, and now he's about to debut in Oakland tomorrow night, which is pretty cool. So it's an electric fastball, and he's got a really good slider. Sounds like he was kind of uh, tinkering around with some some different things. Uh, I think he went with a little bit more sweep with it last year, and he's thrown it a little bit harder. I might have that mixed up, but he, he the the slider is a really good pitch for him too, as that number two offering. So, he, like a lot of guys, he's going to be mostly a two pitch guy, but mix in a curveball, probably mix in the changeup to lefties. But I think the fastball is really going to be what stands out to people once they see him pitch. Brandon Gustin of SeattleSports.com stopping by here on extra innings as he always does at seven fifteen, and Brandon. Uh, I guess one of the 
sub-headlines of the Mariners series against the Blue Jays is a, a noted lack of Julio Rodriguez in the final two games of the series, uh, leaving Saturday's game with uh, a lower back injury and then getting a complete day off yesterday, which kind of took me be, took me by surprise. Uh, I was doing pre- and post-game yesterday, and in that ninth inning, you had the seven, eight, nine hitters come up for the Mariners and just, you know, I, I personally thought, well, if there's a situation where Julio's going to pinch it for somebody, this is it. And he didn't. You saw Tommy LaStella work the walk. Uh, Colton Wong had a single in that inning. So uh, good on them for for coming through. But it was surprising to me. I don't know how surprising it may have been to you to not see Julio back out there in the ninth inning. I think it's just one of those things, Curtis, where he's so valuable to the team that you maybe want to give him as much rest as you can to get him back. Because having the off day yesterday, a full off day, and then obviously nobody on the team's playing today, Give him two full off days, half the day the uh, on a, on Saturday when he inevitably got pulled from that game with the back injury. Maybe that's just trying to get him back for a full series against Oakland. And obviously, you have a big series this weekend against the Astros, a team that obviously this Mariners team knows very well and doesn't like. So, they, if I had to guess, it's probably just trying to get him full strength for for these upcoming two series back to back here on the West Coast. Uh, the other interesting part of it, too, was Ty France had had a full off day Saturday, comes in, pinch hits. Uh, same thing yesterday, wasn't in the starting lineup for those games, so maybe he's a little bit banged up. So it might just be a situation where just with that Astro series coming up and with the off day today that they were just trying to get two of their top hitters, obviously their two all-stars last year, just give them a little bit of extra rest maybe to to try to just take care of some lumps and bruises and things like that. Now, Brandon, the Mariners begin this three-game series against the A's starting tomorrow, and I don't know about you, but it kind of feels like the A's are this traveling circus in baseball right now where like you they just go from town to town and it's like I have no idea who these people are but they you know they are just a, a mess in every way uh organizationally on the field maybe the worst team uh at least through the month of April that I've ever seen they only have one win that is more than one run this season I mean when you're watching these A's, uh, is there anything that the Mariners should be concerned with? Not really. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the Mariners have just I, – I know that uh, there's a lot of frustration with the Mariners lineup right now, and, and for good reason, but the Mariners have a better one through nine. They have a better bench. Obviously, the starting rotation, the bullpens are better. The Mariners play better defense. Like, but this is a series that the Mariners should – at least come out with two wins, and, and really it's it's such a poor Oakland team, a team that so, some MLB analysts have said, like, I don't even know how good they would do in the Pacific Coast League as a triple-A team. It's <laughs> it's almost like uh, it's almost like the Washington Generals going up against the Harlem Globetrotters, right? Like, not that the Mariners are the Globetrotters by any means, but just that this is an, this is an A's team that just is not up to the the level of competitiveness against uh, compared to the rest of Major League Baseball. And it's sad for the fans. That's obviously a, a storied franchise that has a lot of history in Oakland with a lot of really good teams, a lot of Hall of Fame players. It's really sad and depressing what's happened for those guys down there. And obviously, as as two guys that grew up here in the greater Seattle area, we we can kind of feel the same with the with the Sonics leaving. And uh, so I, I feel for the fans in Oakland, they're just not getting a send off or whatever you want to call it um, with just the level of play on on the field right now. And uh, obviously payroll is just so, so, so low. It's uh, it's it, it's pretty hard to look at anything that the Oakland A's are doing right now and seeing it as a positive. 
Well, one thing that is a positive is Brandon Gustafson when he stops by on extra innings every off day. Brandon, really appreciate you stopping by. What do you guys have going on at SeattleSports.com this week? Yeah, obviously uh, the, the NFL draft wrapping up this uh, this past weekend was a super big deal for the station and the site. So we're going to be talking all about those players, getting insight from from college coaches, analysts, and everything, uh, just so so fans kind of get a better idea of who the Seahawks ended up getting and. Tomorrow night, cracking against the Dallas Stars in round two after a big game seven win last night over the Avs. So just keeping that rolling there. I mean, it's it's a really, really exciting time uh, for, for Seattle sports right now. That's for sure. He is Brandon Gustafson. Follow him on Twitter at TheBGustafson. Brandon, thank you so much for stopping by. We really appreciate it. Yeah, you know, Curtis, I think we'll have to do this again soon. I'll hit you up. I'll have my people call your people. We'll see if we can make something happen. Yeah, that, that's good. That's good. I like that. Still a lot to get to in this first hour of Extra Innings. Mariners GM Justin Hollander, he joined Trident Talk yesterday, sat down with Gary Hill and Aaron Goldsmith to talk about this team after the first month of the season. We'll get into that conversation coming your way at 745, but up next... Mariners insider Shannon Dreher joined me on the postgame show yesterday. We reacted to the Mariners' huge come-from-behind victory against the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll take a listen to that conversation coming up next. Don't go anywhere. This is Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Stretch and the 2-1 pitch, swinging a drive deep into the gap in right center field. Going and going and goodbye baseball, Cal Raleigh with another home run here in Toronto. His fourth home run of the season, his second home run of the series, and for Cal, his fourth home run at this ballpark. A two-run home run, and the Mariners are right back in this ballgame. It's now the Blue Jays 8 and the Mariners 7. SeattleSports.com and the Seattle Sports app is where you want to be if you want to download this show. If you miss any part of Extra Innings tonight, that's where you want to go if you want to download the podcast. You can also download any hour of any show right there at SeattleSports.com. We have got such a great lineup of Mariners programming throughout the week. We've got Trident Talk. We will hear Justin Hollander's conversation with Gary Hill and Aaron Goldsmith uh, from that show a little bit later on here in Extra Innings. But also, we have got the Dugout, which airs tomorrow from 1 to 2 p.m., hosted by Michael Bumpus and Stacey Rost. Mariners pitching strategy coach Trent Blank will be joined uh, on that show. We've got just so much Mariners content coming your way each and every week, not to mention you've got the Mariners pre- and post-game show, Mariners games themselves. Uh, SeattleSports.com is the place you want to be. We've got Jeff Passan, who joins the station every Tuesday. You've got Jerry DePoto every Thursday. Seattle Sports is where you want to be for Mariners coverage. And the person that you want to follow for Mariners coverage is our Mariners insider, Shannon Dreyer, who joined me on the postgame show yesterday as we were unpacking just the craziness from yesterday's ball game. And look, it's May 1st. The Mariners are 12-16. and 16. I got to feel like a, a, a five-game losing streak going into the month of May, not how you want to finish out a month. And, and you couldn't ask for a, a better win to wrap up a month uh, where the Mariners dug down deep yesterday in order to pull off that victory against a Blue Jays team that they've got a little bit of history with. We talk about just yesterday on the postgame show, I talked to Shannon just kind of what the mood was like in that clubhouse following such an emotional victory. And then also we get into some other questions about this team, including Julio, because he missed Sunday's game. He missed most of Saturday's game. What's up with him? What can we expect in this Oakland series? Let's take a listen to what Shannon and I talked about yesterday. 
This game had the vibes of a must win coming into it. They fall down 8-4 at one point and then claw their way back at a 10-8 victory. Uh, what was it like in the clubhouse following this one? Uh, I think they were tired. <laughs> it was kind of a, a taxing game. It was. It's funny. They didn't have the music on. I think that's good. And it's a getaway day, so they've got to get away. But I can tell you that, you know, what we saw kind of toward the end of the game, the reaction they had to the Taylor Trammell catch um, was great. You know, you didn't see that they were tense in that situation at all. And then in the dugout and on the field afterwards when they went through their, their celebration that you normally see, see uh, a lot of happiness and they all lined up outside the clubhouse to wait for Taylor Trammell to come back he had kind of a longer interview on TV so they don't go in until everybody is in and then there was some celebrating celebrating the Grand Slam celebrating Matt Brash's first save and so uh, by the time we got in there I think they got most of it out but you could hear it you could see little pieces of it we will get to the heroes of this game, the obvious ones being Cal Raleigh and Taylor Trammell among the among the many. But uh, one group I'd like to spotlight with you, Shannon, is the bullpen today. After Marco Gonzalez was lifted after the third inning, the Blue Jays had put eight runs on the board. And after that, the law firm of Murphy, Spire, Flexen, Topa, Seawald, and Brash shut out the Blue Jays the rest of the way. They went seven shutout innings today. Uh, certainly a longer day of relief than I think anybody had anticipated but uh how how big was it for this bullpen which has had varying uh, you know results this season to put forth a performance like that today i think it was big in this situation because they did have to be leaned on more and fortunately their bullpen was actually in a little bit better shape than that of the blue jays and they were able to go to everybody uh, that they wanted to go to. And, you know, it's just a uh, you know, big tip of the cap to Chris Flexen, who was able to go two innings and look a little different, had a little more velocity than he did when he had the start. And maybe that just is the best spot for him right now. We shall see. A big tip of the cap to Easton McGee, who did what he did yesterday. Otherwise, the bullpen wouldn't have been where it was. So uh, you, you look at guys that um, had been pretty solid and then had a little bit of a hiccup like Topa, and uh, so I think it's good for him to come in and he wasn't here last year and he's heard the stories about, you know, what the bullpen was and how this was a team that could hold on to one run leads and win an extra inning to finally get to be a part of one of those. Uh, I think that kind of goes a long way too. And of course, you know, the biggest is for Matt Brash. This was a big deal. This was his first save. It came in Canada. It came in Ontario where he's from and he had a lot of family here as well. So I, I think that uh, huge game for the bullpen today. And, you know, the first guy who was at the end of the line to greet people when they came in was Marco Gonzalez. He's been so good the last two starts and just didn't have it. And, Toronto was on him, so you know, just uh, great for him to be there and, and thanking all the guys that came after him as well. Yeah, the bullpen had Marcos back today, keeping the Mariners in this one, giving them enough time to come away with the 10-8 victory over Toronto. All right, Shannon, let's get to Taylor Trammell. His first game back since breaking his handmade bone, first game back at the major league level, he was swinging a really hot bat with Triple A Tacoma coming into today. Uh, so it, it's not like, you know, this is the first time he's picked up a bat today, but what an entrance he made today. First swing of the game going grand slam. Uh, and then in the ninth inning coming up, with maybe the biggest defensive play of the day, that
that leaping catch against the left field fence, uh, the left field corner, I should say. Uh, I mean, this guy plays with so much energy, and, and just to see him back out there, see him smiling, seeing him making plays, I mean, he gave the Mariners quite a lift today. He absolutely could, and you felt that in the morning. It's like when I walked into the clubhouse and saw him there, immediately I felt a little bit of a lift because he's that kind of guy. But you also heard Scott Service say that he plays with an edge, and he does. For as up as he is and as positive as he is and as great an interview that he gives, I've seen him mad, too. I've seen him, you know, I've seen him break things like I've seen other players break things before, too. (laughs) He's a competitor out there, and, you know, you see the energy that he puts into a play like that catch, that dive into the stands, and you see the reaction of the teammates. And I think that's just about as big as, uh, you know, just what he brings behind the scenes in the dugout with just the pure attitude as well. But to see him, I mean, you think about it. Your first hit of the season is a grand slam. Really? How often does that happen? And I think that, you know, there are a lot of people that are happy for him also in that this is a guy that, He's an interesting player in that you kind of look at his, his parallels actually a little bit to Jared Kelnick. You know, he was a high school recruit with five uh, high school draft picks with five tool type player. And he had his uh, big years in the minors and then his ups and downs and, and, you know, not being able to hit this pitcher or that pitcher or lefties or righties or whatever it was at any one time and not being able to quite put it all together. But last year we saw him make some very significant contributions with the bat and he has gone to work on the arm he is taking a lot of pride in what he is doing defensively and then put in a lot of work at driveline in the offseason in fact i had heard of the guys that went to driveline from the team he was the one who was there the most and he was commuting from atlanta to do it so to see what he looked like in spring training but not get to see how it played out because he broke that hammock bone fairly early there's a lot of intrigue in what he might be able to do And so his first game, great to see. Uh, Very interesting. I asked in the interview, how long have you been 100%? He said about a week and a half, maybe two weeks. So, you know, it wasn't right from the get-go when he started playing at AAA, but he kind of picked up where he left off when he got hurt, and I'm glad that they called him up. It's great if you can call up a player when he's hot with the bat the way that Taylor was and get him right into a game and continue. So he's a lot of fun to watch. He's a guy that you had penciled in all off season, if not at the beginning, certainly somebody who was going to have an impact on this team this year. Mariners insider Shannon Dreher joining us for a couple more moments here on the post game show. And Shannon, uh, on the injury front, we didn't see Julio Rodriguez at all today. He was pulled from yesterday's game a little early. Uh, what's the latest on him? Because I mean, you know, there there were some people clamoring to see him in the ninth inning. There, it, obviously, it worked out for the Mariners. But uh, it was the plan for him to get a complete full day off going into the Oakland series? They really weren't sure. When uh, we talked to service, what, about an hour and a half before the game began, and they were still kind of making a determination on that. And regardless of what that determination they were thinking it was at that time, I was fairly certain we would not see him. If he had that opportunity to back up, you know, the one or you know, the one day off with the off day, I think you'd do that. And I think Julio would probably prefer that, too. I spoke with him this morning, and he said, I'm just being smart about this. And he did go through his work. He did take some swings in the cage. He looked okay this morning. But I don't see why you take any chances at that point. Good to see Ty get out there. Uh, his was a little bit different. I heard he was dealing with a little bit of an illness, and he did still look a little shaky after the game. But, um, you know, I, I, I cannot fault not seeing 
Julio Rodriguez out there, but the good news is, is obviously there was not an IL move today. We got a lot to get to in tonight's second hour of the show. Steve Berman of the Athletic he joins as we preview this Oakland A's series that comes your way at eight o'clock. Joe Doyle he joined Bump and Stacy earlier today to talk about Bryce Miller and his call up to the major leagues. That's all coming your way in hour number two. But we round out hour number one with a visit from Mariners GM Justin Hollander, who stopped by Trident and Talk yesterday with Gary Hill and Aaron Goldsmith. We take a listen to that conversation. How is he viewing this team after the season's first month? Let's take a listen next, right here on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings Inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports. Really appreciate you making extra innings a part of your Thursday evening here on Seattle Sports. Make sure you're texting into the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776 if you want to be a part of the conversation. But right now, Mariners GM Justin Hollander joined Trident Talk yesterday prior to the Mariners series finale against Toronto. And, and what's he looking for this time of year? We're a month into the season. What is a general manager wanting to see from his team? What is he looking for around Major League Baseball he discussed that with Gary Hill and Aaron Goldsmith as well. Later on in the conversation, you'll hear his thoughts on the pitch clock and just how he is a big, massive proponent of it across Major League Baseball. I think the biggest thing I'm trying to process is what's real and what's not. You know, do I believe that the guys who are off to like incredibly hot flamethrower starts are as good as that? Do I believe that the guys that are off to poor starts are as bad as that? Is it somewhere in between? Is it to like the the right of the 50th percentile between what I thought they were and where they are now? Is it to the left of that? Those are really the things you're trying to figure out. And doing that by trying not to get fooled just by results alone, like from a process perspective, are we really concerned about somebody from an eyeball test, the physical tools perspective? Um, do we believe that somebody's made a change for the better or that their physical skills have dilapidated to a degree that we just we have to change where our our level set is on that player at this point. That's really all I'm trying to do 20 games in. I'm not looking for a specific date, I guess, but is there a time frame during the season when you feel like, okay, we're into this thing and you, and you feel like you've got a good sense of what's going on? Yeah. It's a little different depending on how much they've played or pitched, what role they are, how much history they have, how old they are. I think the context of every player is unique. Mm. And so those things, if it's a young player and we're seeing like, bursts of loud tools that's you know that's really exciting and maybe more believable than if it's a player with a lot of track record who's off to a poor start but isn't really giving us any other reason for concern other than the results so every player every situation is unique um the way in which the good or bad thing is happening right now like as just a specific example like I am not at all concerned that Matt Brash is giving up singles in games against the Brewers. Like that's, you know, he's got like a 550 Babbitt right now. His stuff is completely intact. If Matt Brash's biggest flaw for the season is that he gives up singles in bunches, I just I'm not, I don't believe that's going to happen. I, I'm not his stuff, the way he pitches, it's just not likely to lend itself to that. Um, nor do I really believe he's going to strike out 19 guys per nine. So like it's you know somewhere in the middle is probably where we're finding Matt Brash's watermark for this year. How that affects our season is what I'm trying to look at right now. Well, then let's talk about Jared Kelnick. We watched him in spring training. You don't know what's real in spring training. You can judge process, but the results are obviously kind of its own thing in Arizona. What you've seen from him in April, his process, his results, his quality of contact, like how much of that are you saying like, yeah, this is this is Jared Kelnick now? 
everything that he has done so far results-wise matches up with what we're seeing process-wise. So he's hitting the ball incredibly hard. He's barreling it up at an incredibly high rate. He's making great swing decisions. You know, we have a tab in our internal database. It's roughly the TrackMan tab, and it's all the underlying data. And, you know, it's color-coded for dopes like me who don't understand (laughs) what the numbers may be. And, like, literally the entire tab is bright green for him right now there's not like a results that are bright green and a you know process that's bright red which would be concerning they're not matching up for him everything he's doing matches up and just screams i am very good right now i think the the big thing for the future is can he continue this process the results will probably level off at some point you know i think it's unfair to just expect him to be the best player in the American League for six straight months, but can he continue this elite process that keeps him among the elite players in the league or an all-star quality player, which we've always believed to be the case, that his tools will lend themselves to? Now he's got a process that's matching up with that day in and day out. It's an amazing start. I mean, he's doing everything well. How how important do you think it was for him to get off... It didn't have to be this kind of start, but a good start to this season. Put a good foot. I would be lying if I didn't say this was probably the one player that I was more focused on the need for a good start for confidence perspective than anything else. It's it's natural. It's it's a human emotion to have when you've gone up to the big leagues multiple times and haven't had the success that you believed you can have. And really, it's the only level he's not dominated. And so to come up and succeed right off the bat really validates all of the things he worked on all winter long which he believed in but belief is can waver if you're not getting results from uh from the things you worked on and if he had gone out and gone one for 20 to start with eight or nine or ten strikeouts or something like that you know it's only human to start questioning like is this ever going to work for me up there and i'm probably from a front office and coaching perspective too you know for years this guy has dominated the behind the scenes practice that we've had but we haven't seen the results yet. And, you know, good on him for saying this winner. The thing that I need to realize is that what, I'm, what I have done is not working on the field. And I need to make some changes. And I need to, to find a way to take a step over this threshold to a level that I haven't dominated yet. And he went out and made those changes. And then to get big results right away, I think, is really important. And it wasn't the big results in, in Wrigley that we had that was really, I think, the most important thing. It was just getting a couple base hits early on in the season. You know, there are a couple base hits that might have been outs in previous years. Ground ball singles to the right side that got through. And I think he was able to take a breath and then just start letting it hang out every day and just being like, I am good. Watch this. And you know, we really saw the, the full manifestation of that in three days in Wrigley, which was awesome. Yeah. General Manager Justin Hollander is our guest. I have two questions on that. One, we throw the word process around all the time, but there's some people who don't know what we're talking about. So when you talk about Kelnick's process has been spot on, what do you mean by that? So, you know, first would be quality of contact. Uh, And this is obviously for a hitter, quality of contact. Is he hitting the ball very hard? You know, 90, 95 plus, 100 plus. Is Is he reaching elite exit velos when he hits it among his you know, top 10th percentile or top 90th percentile of, of his exit velos. And check, check, check. He's hitting it 95 miles an hour and harder a lot. He's hitting it 100 miles an hour and harder a lot. And his elite exit velos, the best 10% of them, are loud. Like, you know, Aaron Judge loud, you know, north of 110 miles an hour. Those those are big numbers in the big leagues. You know, that's putting him in an elite quality. And then angle of contact is he hitting it straight into the ground is he hitting line drives and for him i think the biggest thing is just more of a 
a more neutral spray uh, in terms of trajectory. He's not hitting a ton of ground balls, which is bad for anybody in the big leagues, no matter how fast you are. You don't want to hit it straight into the ground. Um, you also don't want to hit straight in the air, no matter how strong you are. And I just talked about his quality of contact as good as anyone. Hitting it straight up in the air is bad. Pop-ups are outs in, yeah. in every level, basically, but especially the big leagues. And fly balls in, in our ballpark and our environment are tough. You know, you know, line drives and fly balls would be the ideal. He's doing a lot of that. He's hitting a lot of line drives, a lot of fly balls, about an average number of ground balls, um, which, given the lack of shifting this year, is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. He's finding holes with those as opposed to just a third infielder standing on the right side, <laughs> picking it up and tossing it to first base. <laughs> and then the last part, and I think probably the most important part for J.K., is the, the decision-making. He's swinging at pitches in the strike zone and taking ones that aren't, and he's doing that against all pitch types. He's really hammering damage pitches over the last week, 10 days. But even previous to that, he was not chasing. And for him to be in advantageous counts over and over leads to the damage. It's hard to do the damage if you're in bad counts. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to do the damage when you're in good counts and you can sort of narrow the suite of selections that are coming. If I know that I'm 3-1 all the time, the odds are I'm going to get more fastballs. He's always been an elite damage doer against fastballs, and now he feels comfortable getting in that count and really cutting it loose and not just, I'm going to hit the fastball in this count, but I'm going to hit the fastball in this spot. And when he's getting that pitch in his spot, he is not missing it. Narrowing the suite of selections has become my new favorite term. Yeah, that was a, that was very Jerryish. That was me. really well <laughs> Actually, done. in my wordsmith. <laughs> but you might have lapped Jerry with that yeah, one. Yeah, that was... That was 80 grade. Good work. Thank you. Justin, you, you also referenced that. We are now at 30,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> you said in so many words uh, that. It was a lot of words. I'm that, sorry. Well, no, you, no, it was very interesting. You said that basically what will keep him from sustaining this to some degree, right? To some familiar degree to what he's doing right now is how well he will be able to continue to maintain this process. So, I mean, that's a. It's a very simple thing to do. It's a very complicated thing to actually uh, put into practice. So how does, whether it's Kelnick or any other player, when they find that process, how do they stick with it? I think it's some combination of self-discipline and coaching. It's important for the player to believe that this is the way I'm going to be good. There's really no substitute for that belief, no matter how much anyone else says it, if the player doesn't believe it. And this is not Jared specifically, like you said, this is any player. You have to be able to whether it's at bat to at bat day to day or even pitch to pitch relock back in no matter what just happened on the last pitch i always thought like the best hitters have a short pitch to pitch at bat to at bat memory and a long year to year memory about what the pitcher is trying to do to them how they get attacked what they do well what they don't do well but if something doesn't go their way and it's on a specific pitcher and a specific at bat they shake their head and move on julio's great with that i was around mike trout when he was a younger player probably the best i've ever seen at not letting the last pitch affect the next pitch or the last at bat affect the next at bat and so on i think that's a key and then i think coaching we have to have systems and programs and coaches in place that can speak a common language with any player so that when the player starts to go off the tracks one direction or the other, we don't let weeks and, and months go by before we get them back on the tracks. And whether that's a mechanical fix through drills or illustration or a graphic or something like that to show them, this is what you're doing now. This is where we hoped you would be. Let's get back to that. 
You referenced the shift restrictions a moment ago. Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk to you since uh, we've had, you know, a few weeks here watching the new rules. What's kind of your general impression of what you've seen so far from the new rules? I've actually been a big, bigger fan of all of them than I expected. I was always a huge pitch clock proponent, um, not just for selfish reasons of getting home 15 or 20 <laughs> minutes earlier. I just think the, the pace of the game is so important. I would say at the ballpark as a fan, for four hours plus if the game were interesting if the pace were good i think when the pace gets slow and there's a lot of walking around the mound or walking around the batter's box that's just not that interesting and you know when you when you see crowd shots at games and everyone's on their phone um staring at you know a website or flipping through their texts or whatever like that speaks to a pace problem and i think we've really addressed the pace problem with the pitch clock the shifting i was a little hesitant i you know there's some creative advantage that you get or intelligence advantage if you do it well Um, but i think our jobs as front offices are to exploit those or make the most of those our jobs is you know like people who work in the game and wanted to thrive for a long time are to look at the big picture and i think i've used the example before so apologize for repeating myself like my son is seven years old He's never asked me, can you show me the highlights of the best shifts that happened in the game that day? Like, he wants to see action in the game. He wants to see people running the bases. And when a left-handed hitter hits a rocket to the right side of the field, we want to see that rewarded with a hit. We're excited about, you know, that you know, there's a, a, like a deep breath you take in when somebody hits a rocket. And then you're, ah. <laughs> yeah. So Manny Machado is standing over in right field. He just threw you out. Like, yeah. it's just not that exciting of a, of a moment. Nobody talks about that. Nobody lives that moment. So in, in general, I think it's, this is probably one of the most positive developments for baseball, the, the collective rule changes, maybe since, like, interleague play in the wild card. I really feel like these are home run, almost near unanimous approval type things for people. And that's incredibly rare on anything, let alone baseball. 60 minutes down, 60 minutes to go. We've got a conversation with Steve Berman of The Athletic to preview this Oakland A's series. We'll also take a listen to what Joe Doyle had to say on Bryce Miller's call-up. Still, lots and lots to get to in hour number two. Don't go anywhere. This is Extra Innings on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network.